Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where every other week or so, we, Mikkel and I go down to our favourite bottle shop and get carded because we're A, wearing masks, and B, buying cocktails. Yes, that's right. If you can't see the beard, we could be any age. Correct. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Going uh, back to being basic. Yes, well, we're going back to the uh, the most basic way of making a cocktail, which is letting someone else do it for you. <laughs> that is true. That is very true, and it's been around for a surprisingly long time. Um, premixed cocktails is not something that's come onto my radar until very, very recently. Um, of course. I've seen, we've seen for a long time the uh, premix um, highballs, like your premix Jack and Coke, your vodka cruises, your your four locos, if you still can get those. Yeah, though it turns out that premixed cocktails predate those. Oh, yeah, by a long shot. By a lot. Because for those of you who don't know what they are, premixed cocktails are, of course, any kind of cocktail that has been. Mixed already and put in a jar, bottle, can, anything. So you don't have to do the mixing. You just crack open a predetermined volume of beverage and consume it. Mm. And it turns out that they've been around since 1892. That sounds like a very familiar year. Wasn't the um, old-fashioned invented around then? It may well have been. Hmm. So, cocktails being pr- like a pretty old thing and being around for a while, of course, people can't always go to the bar to drink them or they want to have ones to take home, like you take your beer home. And that's where it all began because we can't talk about pre-mixed cocktails without talking about a certain hotel in Connecticut that had the fantastic idea of bottling cocktails for people to take home. Literally just like I described. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell us about this particular hotel in Connecticut. Yes, so... In 1859, Andrew Hubline opened a hotel and his sons... Gilbert and Lewis, when they were you know, old enough to think about such things, of course, <laughs> came up with the idea of bottling cocktails that their guests could then take back to their room or take somewhere else to have later. And those became known as club cocktails, supposedly named for the club cars of Pullman trains of the time. Hmm. And we might as well continue talking about this because... It kind of flows on. Well, the the history 
of pre-mixed cocktails is intertwined with Hubline and the name and the club cocktail brand because the brand became a national enterprise when Gilbert and Lewis designed labels, built a brand around it, and arranged distribution for their product, advertising it with slogans like, a better cocktail at home than is served at any bar in the world. Hmm. And in 1900, their advertising began targeting women as well, <laughs> yep. with an ad that featured a woman in, uh, featured a woman instructing her butler, before you do any other thing, James... Bring me a club cocktail. I'm so tired shopping. Make it a martini. I need a little tonic, and it's so much better than a drug of any kind. <laughs> and that's, and that's you know, back when taking drugs was fashionable. Yeah, when, yeah, when cough medicine had cocaine in it. Yeah, those were the times. And that'll <laughs> that'll make you feel better. Yeah, you won't feel much else, but. You know. The cough won't be bothering you anymore. Yeah. But the ability to take alcohol home was actually still a relatively new concept back in those days because bottling was still a fledgling industry in the 1800s with the number of bottlers in the US actually growing from as little as 100 in 1859 to nearly 1400 in 1889 by the time the Hublin brothers decided to begin bottling things. So the industry was really just taking off and bottles were just becoming available. So this meant that cocktail making at home hadn't really begun yet either because people weren't able to buy bottles of alcohol to take home easily. You still had to go and get it out of a cask at your local tavern or bar. Hmm. So the club cocktail blew up because you could take that home. So the Hubline company continued to flourish and on the back of their successful bottled cocktails, they began to produce their own spirits and to import them into the US, receiving the credit for... Let me change the tone I'm saying that in. Receiving the credit for being the first company to import Smirnoff into America. It was actually the Hublines who did that. Because ah, it was... I don't remember if we mentioned that in our vodka episodes. Mm, I don't think we did. And they were the ones who introduced vodka to the US. Mm. Imported Smirnoff and the, the first vodka. And so pre-mixed drinks, um, as you might expect, and I'm kind of running away here with everything, but then we'll come back and you can input later. Yeah. But pre-mixed <laughs> drinks suffered during Prohibition, as you'd expect, and uh, didn't regain their popularity until after World War Two. But the Hubline brand weathered the storm by producing and distributing A1 steak sauce. Steak sauce. Which I believe is still available today, A1 brand steak sauce. Hmm. There you go. And by the 1960s, home entertaining was back in full swing, and Hubline had found themselves a competitor in Duet, which had been launched by the National Distillers Company, and by the 1970s, they were also competing against a brand called Party Time that had... Uh, 
similar to some of the things you may have seen recently, uh, a few things that you then mix an alcohol in with and it is a cocktail. Mm. Sort of like a post-mix cocktail. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you just, you buy you buy your party time and you buy vodka or something yeah. and it goes in with the party time and then you have a party time because it's the 1970s and why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, before we go on any further, um, I just want to make a note that like going winding us back to about 1935, um, we should mention the... Invention of the tin-plated steel can. And that was huge for the alcoholic beverage industry because it meant that... um, It it meant that more and more drinks could be uh, bottled. The... I mean, the coatings weren't great at the time, so cans still had... Still gave beers and spirits and cocktails an aftertaste. So glass was still popular, if for nothing else, the lack of flavour the co- these coatings imparted. Yeah, so glass remained preferred for quite some time. And in fact, there was a almost a war in the glass bottle space because glass bottles were difficult to produce. They didn't have a particularly long shelf life. You were supposed to take it home, consume what was in it, and then return it where you got it mm. so it could be washed and refilled. But what often ended up happening is that it was then either kept or sold on to a competitor who would reuse it. <laughs> yeah. Hence the reason for things like the distinctive shape of the Coca-Cola bottle. Mm. Because you can't pretend that's yours. Yeah, and it's it it's it's a copyright, it's a a piece of art and the label is baked into the to the bottle. You can't take it off. Yeah, and that there was going to be, and was to some extent, extreme competition in the bottling space between the alcohol and soft drink or soda industries mm. because of this bottle returns issue. Yeah. So yeah, cans kind of slowly as they built up worked their way towards letting that be a non-thing. Yeah. So in the 1950s a uh, in the 1950s the three piece can was developed where you had a flat sheet of basically a flat sheet of aluminium rolled into a tube and then the bottom was welded on as opposed to soldered which is what it used to be and then the top was crimped on top and then the the Molson Coors company, Molson Coors Brewing Company, they developed the two piece uh, manufacturing method, which means that there was only uh, one piece to um, seal the the drink in, which meant there's less like lead and other chemicals in your drink, and uh, basically va- made the uh, any uh, it basically made any adjust any alterations to flavor vanish. Yeah, com- compared to what things used to be, Molson Coors changed. They changed the game mm. when they redesigned the can, and others began using it very quickly, including, of course, pre-mixed drinks. Yeah, 
but we ha- definitely had to mention it because it sort of goes the soda and premix uh, industry sort of go hand in hand. Well, they do. They had to because they kind of worked with each other. In in the end, like in the beginning, they worked with each other. Then bottles brought them to loggerheads, and then they mm. went back <clears throat> to cooperating again. Yeah. And now they're basically owned by the same people anyway, aren't they? Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly right. Which I guess brings me to the 1980s, back to Hubline, when the Hubline company's alcohol brands, including Club Cocktails, were sold to Grand Metropolitan, which was in 1997 acquired by Diageo. Here we go, big Diageo. And Duet, their major competitor, was purchased by Beam. (laughs) Who's now owned by Suntory. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that paved the way for the premixed drinks we see today because the two that really set the standard got bought out by massive companies who own everything. and One of like four. Yeah. And so now they... Mostly make highballs. Yeah. Well, that's where the best value for money is for these companies. It's a spirit and a mixer. Like, there's no uh, crafting involved, really. Yeah. And, of course, after Beam acquired Duet, they did. Then they were the first to do a pre-mixed highball, apparently, Mm. when they decided, well, let's mix some cola in with this and bottle it. But that wasn't... It didn't begin as a commercial enterprise. For them, it actually began as something that they decided to do at a large event they were throwing. Uh And then everyone loved it. Yeah, so to simplify things, they just took the vast quantities of Jim Beam that they were going to give to the people at the event (laughs) and pre-mixed cola with it. Like, it makes sense to me. Yeah. It's definitely a marketing novelty, for sure. For sure. Now, we've got a couple of drinks sitting in front of us. Um, we have a espresso martini, and we also have a... So, sorry. We have an espresso martini by the uh, oh. Melbourne Martini Company. It's 12%. One standard drink. let's be precise, they were. 1.04 standard drinks. And we also have the a bottle of the margarita on the rocks that we're pouring into two drinks. Um it is ten percent and two one point two standard drinks each. Yeah. So because the these martini things, they're a 110 ml jar. Yeah. Now, you, you, can, you can see the jar in the picture, but when you pour it into a martini glass, it is exactly the right amount yeah. that an espresso martini should be in taking up the glass. Yes. Exactly. Exactly as it should be. Can we taste it? Yes. We should taste it. I've been smelling the coffee all episode so far, and it smells great. I've also rimmed the glass with some mm. fresh coffee. Fresh coffee, yes. So... Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a disappointing clink sound, yeah, these martini because, glasses. Well, You've got to be so gentle as well. Because, they, because the coffee hit coffee. Yeah. So it just kind of went... 
But but also you've got to be gentle, otherwise it'll slosh. Yes, and you yeah. can't do that. So, smells like coffee. It, it, it tastes just like an espresso martini to me. Mm. Tastes really good. Mm. Um, exactly how I'd expect it to taste at a bar. Yeah, exactly right. Following in the fine tradition of the Hublion Club cocktail. Mm. Even better than you'd get at any bar. <laughs> well, as good. As good as you'd get at any bar. I yeah. Mean, the, the added bonus being you can have it at home. Um, it's, a, I, I'm not a fan of drinking this way because in Australia, it's a very expensive way to drink. Oh yeah. And at least at, at a bar there's, and this is not to take anything away from the experience of having a cocktail like this at home or how good they are, hmm. but that there is an experience in and of itself when you order a cocktail in a bar and the bartender makes it in a cocktail shaker and pours it fresh into the martini glass. Mm. It's a bit of a show as well as a drink. You, you're paying to, to watch it be mixed. Yeah, and then you've got this fresh-made drink with probably, hopefully, fresh coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And when it costs the same to have one at home or at a bar... I know which I'd pick. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it tastes pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like, if I was having a, a themed night, themed party at home, um, when you're allowed to have parties, um, I would, yeah, I'd probably, probably do this for simplicity's sake. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, because... To buy the ingredients, admittedly, if one is comparing purchasing a pre-mixed cocktail with buying the ingredients and mixing it yourself, Mm. unless you're a practiced bartender, that's a no-brainer. You're going to... (laughs) Yeah. You're just going to get it in the pre-mixed version because that's guaranteed it's going to come out tasting right. And how many are you intent on making? Mm. Like the the stuff that you need to do this, obviously coffee for starters. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean everyone almost everyone's got vodka on their shelf, but you know. Yeah. You never know. Someone might have run out recently and forgot to get some more. <coughs> it's me. <coughs> um Even so, it's the the bonus of these is that they are consistent. You always know what you're going to get. And when you're a when you're not an experienced bartender, like you are, Mickle, uh, if I made them, they would not taste the same every time. Yeah, exactly. If you want the consistency, if you want it to be terrific, either be a bartender or get these or go to a bar. Yeah. That's, that's your three options. Yeah. Or get your bartender friend to make one for you. Yes. Or, um, you know... <laughs> Get good. Get good Learn. <laughs> Learn to do it yourself. Yeah. And there's plenty of YouTube videos out there for it. Oh, yes. Um, shall we finish these and then pour the margarita? Yes, let's. All right. We have in front of us our margarita on the rocks, the, the batched cocktails from Lexington. Let, 
Lexington Hill Cocktail Club from probably Australia somewhere. Victoria. C-U-B. Of course it is. Uh, tequila, sugar, lime juice, natural lime citrus flavor, preservative 221, and citric acid, in case it isn't sour enough. Yes. So if those of you playing along at home who aren't Australian or don't know what CUB is, that's Carlton United Breweries. Mm. Owns most of Australia's breweries. <laughs> yes. Now, the, the first one was Boutique. Yeah. Small batch. Mm. But this, this is definitely not. No. Definitely the uh, conglomerates uh, trying to edge their way into the crafted cocktail space. Yes, tossing their hat in the ring because they have such a large hat and there are so many rings that they want it to be in. Yeah, and it just sort of covers all rings all at once. Yes. With the giant hat. (laughs) Yeah. So, it says on the bottle, it says on the bottle to lime and salt the rim... Uh, chill and serve. And we've done all those things. Oh, sorry. Lime and salt evenly fill both glasses and squeeze and add a fresh lime wedge. Oh, I need to add a fresh lime wedge. Sorry, Mickle. Your margarita has one less lime wedge than should be the case. Well, so does yours. Correct. We are both utterly lacking in lime wedge. Not for long. Here's the lime that I sliced up earlier. Very nice. Limed and salted. Now they are ready to go. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, now the salt all over the table. It sure is. (laughs) And all over my notes. But that's okay. It's okay. All right. What does it smell like? It smells like lime and a margarita. Yeah, it, it basically does smell like a margarita. Yeah. Um, let's taste. Yeah. Yeah, a bit salty for my liking because of the. Oh. <clears throat> a bit salty for my liking because of the salt on the rim. Yeah. No, I'll. I'll admit. I put more salt on the rims than I normally would for the picture. Oh. <laughs> it was for photographic purposes. Yeah. You wouldn't really have seen the usual amount of salt. No. Wouldn't have looked as good. But, yeah. It tastes all right, though. But Once yeah. you get around the uh, the salted rim. Yeah. If, if you drink from the section that... And yeah, so if, if you see a bartender put on the amount of salt that I put on these, they shouldn't. That's too much. Yeah. Yeah, so the um cocktail tastes alright. But it's kinda like there's no life in it. Yeah. Like it's nice, but it's not exciting. Like I haven't been excited by seeing the bartender make this cocktail in front of me. Well, and even then, a, a margarita has Pizzazz. Yeah, it's got more going on. Yeah. Like, this is okay. It it definitely, it lacks that. It, it's, it's obviously mass produced in large quality. Large, large, ah, it's mass produced in large quantity. And, and mass produced qualities too. Yes. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's where they, 
they've obviously put quantity above quality. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it kind of tastes like a premix, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it is a premix, yeah. but the other one did not taste like a premix. It tasted like an espresso martini. Yeah. Yeah. This tastes like. Tastes like oh, the, like like post mix like a post mix cocktail. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I was going to say, like it was made by somebody fondly remembering a margarita. <laughs> yeah. You, well, look, you're probably right. Made by or de- designed by someone who has tasted a few margaritas in their time and then uh, made one off memory. Yeah, so this tastes about right. I mean, yeah. if we look at the ingredients... Which I read out before, there's not much in it. Yeah, no, tequila, sugar, lime juice. And remembering that in Australia, it is legally required to list ingredients on something in order of quantity. Yep. So... Tequila being first. Tequila being first, which you'd expect with any sugar, lime juice, natural lime, citrus flavor... Preservative 211 and citric acid. Mm. Now, that is not the ingredients for a margarita. No. <laughs> no. What is the ingredients in a margarita? There's tequila, lime, sugar syrup? Sugar syrup, yes, yeah. I believe that's correct. Nowhere on here does it list water. So... They haven't actually listed all the ingredients because they're supposed to list water if there's water in, if they've added water to it. Yeah. Well, there's no way that that is just tequila, lime juice, and a bunch of other things. Because generally you'd put a bunch of ice in it, but it's also missing Contro. Yeah. That's what's missing. Yeah. Yeah. And because, uh, because Cub doesn't own... Um, own the Contro brand, they can't actually put it in, can they? Unless they did a deal with them, no, they can't. Yeah. yeah. They could use some other orange liqueur. Yeah. But it wouldn't be Contro. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, that is definitely why it's lacking that zest. You know what I have, Mickle? You have Contro? I have Contro. Shall I add it? Yes, let's add 30 mils of Contro and... Seriously, 30 mils to one shot of tequila? Oh, 50 mil. So it's traditionally it should have 50 mil of tequila. So we would need to scale. So maybe half a shot of Cointreau. Yes. Yep. All right. Let's see what it tastes like now. Yes. With an extra half shot of Cointreau. Cointreau. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, immediately that's 100% better. Yeah, now it's a margarita. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting how that it was missing an ingredient, but it didn't say to add said ingredient. Oh, of course not. They can't even mention a competitor, can they? No. They could have said triple sec, though. True. Because that's a, a generic term for a citrus liqueur. Citrus spirit. Is it, though? I think so. A lot of companies make triple sec. Mm, but CUB don't. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm sure the Melbourne Martini Company doesn't make vodka. Well, they might. 
Mm. Wouldn't be too hard to distill it yourself, I suppose, if you have the equipment. Yeah. There, yeah. There you have it, I suppose. Um, I don't... I can't think of anything else that's worth mentioning today. Yeah, no, that's it. I just... I guess keep in mind that not all premixes are created equal. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure our listeners already knew that. But it is still worth saying. Yes. And yeah, naturally, if you're looking at something like a pre-mixed margarita, something that's a complex cocktail, check the ingredients list because odds are if there's something that should be in there that's missing, you can just add it. Yeah. And then it'll taste right. Or at least better. Yeah. Like, it also kind of tastes like it needs more tequila, but <laughs> I don't have any tequila. <laughs> um, but then you get into... Then you're basically halfway to making it yourself from scratch. Well, yeah, if you've added tequila and Contro, you basically are making it yourself from scratch. Yeah. It's just tequila, Contro, ice. Lemon juice. Lime juice, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if you liked what you heard, everyone, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, we are a good drop all about alcohol on your favorite podcast app, including Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube Music, and many more. You can also find us on the social media networks, Facebook and Instagram as a good drop podcast. Hmm. And if you want to jump on our website for our giant library of previous episodes, our website is agooddrop.com.au. Or if you want to send us uh, comments, questions, feedback, or tell us about your favorite uh, premix cocktail, send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. So be sure to tune in next time when we get health conscious and talk about low-carb beer. Yeah, there's a, a growing trend of low-carb drinks and low-carb beer's been around for a number of years now and we should have talked about it earlier, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, we've had four years. Bad, better late than never. So, until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.